This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 168. Today on our show, it's almost all about cicadas with Mandy Pritchard from the Cincinnati Zoo. So she'll use something called an ovipositor. This is like a hollow sword-like structure on the end of her abdomen. Some people might think it's a stinger. It's not. It's what she uses to lay her eggs. So she'll insert that actually into the tree branch at an angle, and she'll lay about 20 eggs at one time into that tree branch and then she'll leave. And she'll continue to do that because she will lay up to 600 eggs as an individual cicada. Mandy is a keeper at the World of Insects at the Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Garden, and she talks to us about the imminent emergence of Brood X. We also chat a bit about the zoo's insect collection and even a bit about bees and wasps and some other insects. Now, I've been liking the podcast. You can help support it by PayPal or Venmo. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com and chip in whatever you feel is fair. Also, be sure to listen for that special promo code for 20% off near the end of the episode. And one other thing, on the other side of the interview, I will have an answer to a question I emailed Mandy after the interview was complete that I forgot to ask about cicadas that you want to know the answer to. Now let's talk to Mandy Pritchard about cicadas. Cincinnati, Ohio. I come from the I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I, Cincinnati. She came down from Cincinnati. Just maybe think of me once in a while. I'm at cincyshirts.com in Cincinnati. So we're here with uh, Mandy from the zoo. Yes, hello. Yes, so tell us what you do at the zoo and... We'll let our listeners decide if it's uh, something that they might need to listen to here <laughs> Sounds for good. the upcoming summer. All right. So uh, my name is Mandy Pritchard. I am the team leader at the Insectarium at the zoo. So we have a staff of four full-time keepers here, and I'm one of them. So a big part of my job is literally just taking care of the animals here. And then I also uh, help manage the other keepers as team leader. Um, and so, of course, today we're going to talk all about cicadas. So I don't know if I'd really full-blown say I'm a cicada expert, but I do know a heck of a lot about cicada biology and morphology and natural history. So we'll see what I can answer for you. Nice. So you, you, you're the boss of the other zookeepers, so you keep like even fiona's keepers in check and make sure they uh show up for work and everything oh gosh no not not all the departments just the insectarium <laughs> oh, just the, okay so there's so, so the insectarium so i think it's the first time i've ever said that word huh. I, that uh that's that's a big big deal huh it's not just i just figured they'd have like a janitor or something that walked by the uh the ant exhibit one day and said okay they're still doing their thing that's fine. Let's let's keep rolling. But yeah, you have four staff members dedicated just to insects. We do. Yes, we have four full time uh, zookeepers in this department alone, and uh, we focus entirely on this building. So we've got oh fifty to sixty species at any given time, and people, you know, they might think, oh, they're just insects; they don't need that much care. But it's just like caring for any other group of animals at the zoo, just on a really small scale. So. Cheetahs need to be fed and cleaned and pampered just as well as beetles and ants do. That's awesome. Um, I actually took uh, entomology in, uh, is it entomology or entomology? One Ent- of them. Entomology, in- yeah. So it's A-N-T, right? E-N-T. E-N-T, E-N-T. Yeah. Entomology. <laughs> yeah, I got first in the county in 4-H uh and entomology in like sixth grade because i was the only one to take that in 4-h in, in, <laughs> nice. in our boy, county boy you did grow up in the country yeah <laughs> so I, I i spent the summer collecting insects and killing them in formaldehyde and sticking a pen through them and labeling them and i bet my mom still has my case somewhere with the preserved insects was that here in cincinnati or but no, that was in uh, Tuscarawas County, uh, Newcomerstown, Ohio, with home of Cy Young and Woody Hayes. <laughs> so anyway, 
but uh yeah so i'm i'm no ex- expert but i guess i've had an interest with with bugs uh you know throughout the years um so yeah so so cicadas let's uh so so they're coming back right or did the frost this week and the weather did that kill them all and now we don't we don't have any cicadas or what's happening uh that did certainly not kill them all. No way. Um, so they're still, for the most part, underground right now, right? Um, but they are coming. And so the the cold snap might have pushed them off a few days, but it's certainly not going to keep them from emerging. There will still be billions of them this year. And I, for one, am excited. I know not everybody is. <laughs> did you guys have, like, dates in mind? Like, is there, like, a forecast of when, when they will emerge? There is. So um, I'm not going to take the risk to pick an actual day, but in general, it happens when the ground temperature reaches 64 degrees. So that can be calculated a number of ways. You can stick a probe in the ground, you can use ambient temperature to calculate it. But once it's been 64 degrees ground temperature for a couple of days, and if we get some good hard rain, that's when they're gonna start popping out in big numbers. You might've already seen a couple and you've certainly probably seen um, little the chimneys that they emerge from in your yard. If you've been out doing any gardening early in the year, you might have already seen a couple of tunnels. Like they are, they are starting to pop out. But the mass emergence probably won't happen until mid-May. So we probably got still a few more weeks before they really start coming out. Yeah, I mean it's going to be in the 80s next week. So yeah, we'll um, probably start to see if you've got you know a warm sunny spot in your yard. Those will start to pop out first. Um, the shady north sides of your house will probably pop out last. So. So I can go out and stick my digital meat thermometer in the ground and measure the temperature, <laughs> and that'll tell me, that'll give me a warning? I don't know how accurate that is. I can't say, but um, you would have to get down to the depth that they're hanging out at, which, you know, is... So 64, where they're... Oh, so that's the, okay, that's good specification. So it's 64 where they're at in the ground, not 64 yeah. at the surface. That's my understanding, yep. Oh, yep, gotcha, okay. They're at. Yep, okay. They need to warm up so they can start crawling towards the surface and know that there's going to be... And oh, there's potatoes popping out with them. And if it is 64 at the surface, we're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> they're right. About, they're right about to come out. I well, I, I wouldn't say trouble, but again, I'm excited about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I think everyone likes to belly ache and moan about it, but we're all kind of excited, right? I mean, come on, does anyone actually hate them? It's, I mean, come on, once every 17 years. Even though I feel, I feel like we had cicadas like five years ago, ten years ago. We were supposed yeah, to, and I don't yeah. think we did. They weren't that weren't as big as Brood X. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So uh-huh. this this one coming out this year, we call it Brood X or Brood Ten. It is the largest one that we ever get in this area, and it is every seventeen years. Now we do have other smaller broods that we get on different years. So we had some early breeds actually from I think a different brood pop out just two years ago. Um, of course, this one hasn't been around. Brood X hasn't been around since two thousand four. That was probably the last time. Cincinnatians remember just like, oh my gosh, there's so many cicadas out. Um, but we've had smaller emergences of other broods since then. So we've seen them. Do they measure like how intense each brood is? Because when we moved here in 94, uh, we were warned, oh, when the cicadas come, it's going to be terrible. And and uh, and I don't recall them in 2004 being that bad or as bad as my sister-in-law, who was already living here in 87, described them as being um, but we didn't live as close to the woods as we do now, so maybe that's the thing. But were, was the 87 brood way more intense than the 2004? Was there any way to measure that? I mean, probably someone has measured it, but to my knowledge, just brood 10 is considered the largest. So okay. 87, 2004, 2021 should all be pretty much on par. Now, things like development in yeah. particular areas can certainly affect your very local population. So if you live in a brand new housing development area, where they've knocked down all the trees, you know, 10 years ago, you're probably not going to see as many as you are in uh-huh. Oxford or places of Cincinnati that haven't been developed, you know, recently. So that will certainly affect very local populations. Okay. So we're doomed in my neighborhood. That's. <laughs> yeah. So OTR doesn't have anything to worry about. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Maybe not party. Um, so I was reading where I believe, uh, and maybe you have the answer to this, or maybe we can, we can find it from somebody. Uh, Long Island also gets Brood X, but it, they didn't emerge in 2004. They think that entire, the Long Island Brood, it, were killed somehow. Do you know anything I about actually, that? I don't know anything about that. Okay. That would be very sad, but um, 
I don't. I'm gonna have to look into that. Yeah. Okay. I'll look it up and and then. Uh, or, or I mean, how historic though? I mean, a, a one brood of them, that's yeah. been around yeah. since the dawn of. Long they, Island and I'm pretty and sure when I was looking because oh. uh, we have shirts for them and our sibling site has them and I figured well we should put them on for Baltimore and Indianapolis and the other cities are going to get them and as I was looking at the map I was reading I think it came from the Smithsonian possibly it said the Long Island brew didn't appear in 2004 and I'm pretty sure it was brew decks they were talking about and they don't know why wow so, yeah that's that's certainly okay. historic I mean you know, imagine if Cincinnati all of a sudden, I'm sure a lot of people would be happy, but if all of a sudden we didn't get our 17-year cicadas, that would be something to scratch your head about and wonder why. So, so Brood X, is that, so you said that's 10s, is that, um, so every 17 years it's Brood X, or is it, are we just calling this, this, uh, this, you know, release in 2021 Brood X? Is it like the, you, you name the hurricanes, or is it like, like, I don't know, the, the cycle that these guys are on. Yeah, no, I got you. Um, no, this one is Brood X, and we called the ones in 2004 Brood X, and 1987 is Brood X. So we're just calling this particular 17-year group. So these are like the grandkids of the 87 Brood X and the children of the 20, 2004 okay. Brood X. So nice. we're not naming, like the next one that comes out won't be, you know, Brood 11 or brood 11. whatever. How many broods are there? <laughs> There are 15 broods um, of periodical cicadas in the United States. So they all emerge on either a 17-year cycle or there's actually a few that are on a 13-year cycle. Um, and some of the populations overlap and some don't. Um, so I was reading every like 221 years, there's a 13-year brood and a 17-year brood that emerge at the same time, but oh. their geographical locations don't overlap. So it's not like a mega emergence or anything like that. And huh. some areas don't get the broods at all. That's correct. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You, you'd have to look at, you know, map overlays of all the different broods to see okay. which counties and which states don't get them. But certainly Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky, we get a few of them. But there are, I guess, what we would call garden variety cicadas that everybody has that are out in nature. And these are different from the from the brood variety. Is it a different correct. species? It is a different species, uh -huh. yeah. So we also have, um, we call them dog day cicadas, and those are around every single year. Okay. So those are the ones that you're going to hear singing in your trees every year, whether it's a big brood emergence or not. So those are around. And they're much larger. Um, the ones that we get every single year are larger physically oh. um, than the periodical cicadas that we get. The periodical ones are actually pretty small, relatively speaking. Um, if you're not a bug fan, they're probably still massive to you, but they're, they're much smaller than the ones that are here yearly. Is there some kind of a wasp maybe or something that preys on cicadas? Because I swear I was uh, cutting the grass one day and I put the lawnmower away and this big old wasp comes zooming by with carrying something really huge, dives under my garage and goes in there. And I'm thinking, I swear that wasp just grabbed a cicada or something. And, she did. Aha! Uh, uh -huh. What was that? <laughs> she did. So those are actually called, uh, creative name here, cicada killers. <laughs> there you have it. So they are, I know this is um, only going to record the audio, but if you guys want to see, this is a cicada killer, pinned specimen right oh, here. Oh, there you go. It's a really large black and yellow, um, you know, people would probably call it a hornet. Um, uh -huh. It is a type of uh, hornet or wasp uh, in the family uh, Vespidae. And so what she does, this would be a female, what she does is she'll actually take down cicadas in midair. Um, wow. I assume they'll go after periodical cicadas, but they definitely go after the ones that we have yearly. So they'll take them out in midair and they'll tackle them to the ground. Um, unfortunately for the cicada, she'll sting them and it doesn't kill the cicada. It just paralyzes it. And then she'll pick up the cicada. She'll climb up some structure, maybe a tree nearby to get up in the air high enough to take off again. And she will fly to her nest where she will place that cicada in the ground and lay an egg in it. <laughs> and then really? when her eggs hatch or her individual egg hatches, um, the larva will emerge and start to consume that cicada. And so <laughs> wow. Perfectly the cicada grizzly. becomes the meal. Yeah, it's, it's pretty brutal. But it's wow. just cicadas or, I mean, does it ever, you know, do that with any other bugs? So cicada killers are specific to cicadas, but there are lots of other wasps and hornet species that do this with other prey items. So out west, you're going to have things called tarantula hawks, and they'll actually do that with tarantulas. They'll, they'll hunt and take down tarantulas, bury them in the ground, and lay an egg on, on a tarantula. 
Weird. Wow. So, so does we this to worry about this? Is this do I gotta carry my EpiPen everywhere uh, I go this summer? They definitely look aggressive, but you're not gonna get stung by one unless you're asking for it. So if you maybe if you stepped on one or intentionally tried to catch one, she might, you know, sting you. Um, but she's not gonna get aggressive and in your face uh, so if you're in her, her turf. How often do the cicada killers pull this kind of thing? Just once a season? Because they just lay their eggs once a season? Yeah, so it's definitely going to be, you know, peak summer when all the skaters okay. are out every year. Yeah. So and they we get them here at the zoo all, all over the place. It's fun to watch. And they live on their own. They're not in hives. Correct. Yeah, they are solitary. Oh, and, yep. uh, and are they a hornet or are they a, a different species altogether, the cicada killer? Um, they would be considered, a, a, I think, a solitary wasp is what they would be considered. Uh-huh. Their sort of common name. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now, I know bugs are, have like these crazy senses that everyone tries to understand and whatnot. Uh, like, do we, is anyone tracking these cicada killers to see if they, like, do they also know the cicadas are going to be popping out here in a couple weeks? And they're like, you know, they're, you know, down in Lexington right now. And per, next week, they're going to be up here to. <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't know. I personally, I don't know if they're even interested in periodical skaters. I certainly would think they would be. I know a ton of under, other animals are going to take advantage of our big emergence. So yeah. I wouldn't doubt if they would. But sometimes insects are very specific to the type of prey they go after. So maybe periodical skaters are too small. I don't know. I'm going to have to look into that one. But the uh, critters that would normally prey on your garden variety cicada, as I was reading, they're overwhelmed when the brood emerges, right? And they that can only correct. they can only eat a very tiny percentage, and they're like, we're just going to set the rest of this one out. Yeah. Yes, we're going to see a lot of fat birds and fat raccoons waddling around. Yeah. <laughs> it's that is you know one of the the reasons that periodical cicadas are able to be so successful is that they emerge in such great numbers because they don't have any way to defend themselves. They're terrible flyers. They're really slow crawlers. They're really clumsy. Uh, they are basically asking for predators to eat them. So the only way that they can survive is just coming out in massive numbers. Hopefully a very small percentage of them gets to reproduce and then they lay a ton of eggs. I was going to say, they, they seem good at one thing. Yeah, they're good at mating. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we have a listener question from my wife. I said, if you have cicada questions, let me know and I'll ask. <laughs> I think you kind of addressed this earlier. Uh, my wife says she would like to know if there are places you can go outside during the swarm that have significantly less of them, like an amusement park, baseball stadium, etc. Yeah, like we were saying before, I think, you know, places that have experienced a lot of development or places that are not forested as heavily might have a lower, you know, local population. But cicadas can fly and they're ah. attracted to things that make noise. So really, it's, <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of wait and see, I suppose. Well, that's a good question. What is their range from where they emerge from the ground? Yeah, I mean, they're capable of flying pretty good distances, but they are clumsy and they're they're going to get picked off by predators. So okay. I don't know if anyone's ever tracked one individual cicada, if that's even <laughs> uh, uh, possible because they get eaten so easily and quickly. I don't know. <laughs> so the more, the more open space and more concrete, probably the better, but you're still saying they can fly from places where there is a lot of uh, yeah. wooded air. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're going to go out to a park or something, I think you'll definitely encounter a lot more than you would at like, um, you know, Kings Island or something well, like uh, that. We, uh, she likes to go walk up at, uh, up near Liberty center, the big, um, the big park up there in Westchester, and it doesn't. There don't seem to be a whole ton of trees there because it used to be the uh, transmitter farm for the Voice of America. Yeah, and there aren't as many trees, so I, I reckon there might be fewer than our backyard here. We're up, up against a forty-acre plot of woods. Probably, yeah. And I okay. know the Voice of America area was developed um, since the last cicada emergence, for the most part. So, aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, it might it might, but. Maybe don't quote me on that if you go out there and there's so, still billions of them. <laughs> I have this image now of like uh, this area being concreted over and these little cicadas get up to the top and going, hey, let me out. Hey. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess that's possible. But uh, the truth <laughs> is, if you if you rip down the forest area previous to that, that's what the nymphs are underground actually eating. So yeah. if you've already eliminated their food oh, source okay. five, They're not make it years up. ago, then they've probably that's died right. off anyway. I, I so. forgot about that. Yeah, because they're underground for 17 years, munching on, you know, juices that they're sucking out of root systems um, from plants that are above ground. So. And conversely, I guess if you, if, well, maybe if you, if you planted trees after, like a few years after the brood, they probably wouldn't be 
gnawing on those? Is that, we assume that? Yep. Okay. Um, for the most part, I mean, you know, if, if there was a tree next door and they laid a ton of eggs in that tree and they're underground crawling around, you know, they can move underground a little bit too. They're not a hundred percent stationary. Okay. They're not going to travel a mile underground, but they'll, they'll move over to the next little root system over here if they run out of food over there. So. Okay. No. So they're actually, they're actually alive, huh? It's not like, I guess I thought they were like eggs that were dormant and then they just popped out. Yeah, no. So yeah, if we want to briefly just talk about their life cycle. Yeah, walk so, us through that. That'd be great. Sure. Yeah. So in a couple weeks, right, we're going to have the big emergence and the males are going to start singing and that's their cue that they're ready to mate. Females find the males, males find the females, they mate. The female will then lay eggs in tree branches. And so this is, you know, we'll get into this probably later too. What are the, the harmful things that cicadas can do? Um, they will lay eggs in tree branches um, they typically go after branches that are like a quarter inch thick, uh, maybe a half inch thick. So younger branches, not big old branches. And so she'll use something called an ovipositor. This is like a hollow sword-like structure on the end of her abdomen. Some people might think it's a stinger. It's not. It's what she uses to lay her eggs. So she'll insert that actually into the tree branch at an angle. And she'll lay about 20 eggs at one time into that tree branch. And then she'll leave. And she'll continue to do that because she will lay up to 600 eggs as an individual cicada. Wow. Uh, right. And if you think about how many cicadas are, uh, you know, actually able to mate and lay eggs, it's a lot of eggs. Will she hook up with only one male and then pr produce all 600 eggs from that? Or is yeah, are it... they monogamous? <laughs> I don't think they're monogamous, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so then those, those eggs, though, in that branch... Um, about six, some people say six to 10 weeks later, those eggs will hatch and they fall to the ground. So they fall to the ground immediately under the branch they were laid in. And that's where the nymphs will actually burrow into the ground and they'll reach the root system of that plant. And that's where they'll start eating. And then they'll stay down there for the next 17 years, munching and growing. They'll molt several times underground. They'll get a little bit bigger, you know, every couple of years. And then 17 years later, we repeat the process. Is there a certain depth they go down to, or is it just to where the tree root is that is most accessible? I think they're definitely going below the frost line when they need to and ah. wherever the roots are accessible. Yep. I mean, is this like the longest living uh, insect? Uh, probably not the longest living. It's certainly the largest emergence of of insects in the entire world actually so this is a worldwide phenomenon that we experience here in cincinnati and in the united states um but no they're they're definitely not the oldest insect um most people consider things like dragonflies and cockroaches the most unchanged insect historically speaking but not not cicadas like, necessarily but the life of an individual like how, how long does a dragonfly live oh i hear you i'm sorry yeah, so this is one of the longest life cycles of an insect. Yes, definitely. 17 years is really long. I know of another, um, there's like a, a moth that lives in the Arctic, and its life cycle takes, I think, 18 or 19 years because its caterpillar can only eat only a little bit every spring and summer when it's warm enough, and then it goes dormant again. So there's extreme examples like that. But on a mass scale, yeah, this is definitely one of the longest insect life cycles. That's crazy. So uh, let's see. So to be an insect, you have to have a head, thorax, and abdomen, right? That's right. So, yeah. Six legs. So the cicadas have that? Cicadas have that. They've got antenna, right? Yeah. They've got a couple of compound eyes, which are yeah, what's up with the red eyes. Are they red for a reason? Is that a, is that a natural, I don't know, like a bird might think that some, you know, crazy uh, – crazy mean <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah i mean like they have a I, there's some scientific term for it i'm sure you know it but uh i do i, I hear you it's you know called um aposematic coloration right aposematic coloration so that's when like things that's like hornet, to think of. yeah hornets or bees have like yellow stripes or red stripes and that's like a warning coloration for predators i mean the eyes could be that but it's it's very small so i'm not convinced myself that it is also it certainly doesn't work because everything eats these yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's tough times cicadas. are you guys planning on eating any cicadas this year negative 
No. I'm never rolling anything out. I mean, that was going to be my next question was like, do you have recipes or uh, is it, would you, would you even suggest, I'm sure they're probably high in protein, right? Certainly they are high in protein. So take the wings off first because those are not very digestible. Um, but apparently they taste like shrimp. So really? you saute some up with some oil and garlic and have at it. I know. Is it Snappy Tomato actually sells cicada pizzas throughout the cicada emergency well, that's, that's a rumor. Uh, hopefully <laughs> we have the Snappy Cicada pizza shirt up by the time this uh, podcast goes out. But, um, yeah, we're actually working on that right now. But that story was WBN made the, the Snappy Cicada pizza jingle. And everybody thought it was real pizza. However, they did not actually put cicadas on the pizza. Oh, how disappointing. They should, but I guess that that's something that they're trying to disprove. <laughs> oh. I'm like, oh, just, oh just man, they got me it. too then. I was excited. I'll have to make my own pizza, I guess. That's fine. There you go. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, certainly your dogs, if, if, if any of our listeners have dogs that are outside a lot during the summer unattended, they are going to eat their fair share of cicadas too. And, uh, really? people are, right. so they're not poisonous they're or not, anything, or do we have to worry about the fertilizers and ground stuff? In no, the ground? they are not toxic. I mean, certainly if, if your dog has some strange allergy, I don't want to say otherwise, but in general, yeah, it's, it's not going to harm your dogs. They'll probably eat so many that they will get sick and regurgitate them. Um, uh, and especially because the wings are not very digestible, it'll irritate their stomach, <laughs> but for the most part, nope, they're not harmful to eat so, at all. Do cats eat them? I bet they do. Yeah, I wouldn't be oh, surprised at all. Or at least kill them, yeah. <laughs> well, our 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 neighbors have cats. So we have cats, as yeah. I like to say. Yeah, and I'll get, look forward to that now, too. Good Lord. <laughs> yeah. So you're mentioning that uh, they do harmful things, uh, apart from laying the eggs in the actual tree. What, what other kind of damage can they do? Do they get into stuff? Do they get into, like, air conditioning systems and kind of cause all kinds of havoc that way yeah so um you know that's the number one question that we get is like are they harmful can they bite are they going to ruin my garden so dispel some of these rumors so first they don't bite they are incapable of biting us unless you're made of a plant (laughs) they're not going to try and bite you um they have very small like sucking mouth parts um and so all they would ever attempt to eat as an adult would be plant juices from like leaves or stems um so they can't bite can't sting They will, like I said, when they lay their eggs in the tree branches, they can cause a little bit of harm. Now, for a mature tree, this is no concern whatsoever. But if you've planted a bunch of year, two-year-old trees in your yard this year, you might consider covering them with something called cicada netting. Hmm. I know a lot of garden supply stores sell this. It's just basically like plastic netting that you can wrap the tree in. And it keeps the cicadas from accessing the branches that they want to lay the eggs in. So it's just, it excludes them. Pesticides are not going to do anything against cicadas because there's way too many of them. So it would just be harmful to other beneficial insects. So I cannot recommend pesticides whatsoever. Um, As far as getting into your air conditioning, I mean, I guess it's possible, but um, anything, you know, in theory could get up there. So. And you were saying as far as the young, young trees go, what's the smallest branch they will because if you have a tree that's because we have a little peach tree out in my tree lawn, I'm just thinking of, but the branches are really tiny. I can't imagine they find that very appetizing. Sure. So actually, they are after pretty small branches, from what I've heard and read. Oh. They they like things that are like a quarter inch to a half inch in diameter. Okay. So, well, that's still... Yep. So right. you know, if you really love some tree that you've planted this year and you want to protect it, just to be on the safe side, why not wrap it up in some um, some mesh netting? You know, okay. you can find this online. Um, I'm myself going to have to go out and do this because I just planted a whole row of uh, arbor vitae trees in my backyard and <laughs> I knew better. I should have picked a better time to do it, but I couldn't help it. So I'll be covering those guys for the summer. Awesome. Even bushes, huh? Well, these, you know, the arbor vitae are the, those like evergreen trees. So I'm just going to play it safe yeah. and cover them. Why not? But, you know, I've got boxwoods in my front yard. I'm not worried about those. Um, if you've got a tree that's over four or five feet tall, I probably wouldn't be too concerned about it. Again, okay. unless you just planted it and it's precious to you, then go ahead and protect it. Is there any way to deter them? Korean lilac in mind, so I better I better get my thing over that. <laughs> and they do, they do prefer certain types of trees as well. 
I don't have oh. an, a list in front of me, but they're going to go after mostly stuff that's native to here, which would make sense, right? Because they're from here. Um, but then they also do like some ornamentals. So you could find that easily online and just make sure that your trees are going to be safe. But again, mature trees are fine. In fact, a lot of horticulturalists say that the little bit of pruning that they do by laying eggs in small branches is actually beneficial to the tree long-term because it um, uh, promotes new growth. So, yeah. Is there a way to deter them when you're out and about from swarming on you? Or conversely, is there ways that you wear certain colors that will attract them? Or uh, I don't know that they're attracted to colors or not, but uh, it is in fact true that they're attracted to loud noises. So uh-huh. if you've heard this or not... Um, yeah, yeah. They are attracted to lawnmower noises. And the reason is they think it's one great big cicada. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, oh, look at that that big, strong male cicada over there. I'm going to go mate with that. And it's you on a lawnmower. Um, So (laughs) that is true. So when you're out mowing the grass, it's kind of inevitable that they're going to be attracted to you. I suppose if you did this very early in the morning um, or very, very late at night when maybe they're not as active or pick a time of the day where they're not as active, you might be a little... Know, safer from being swarmed by them. So are they more, are they less active at dawn and dusk then? I mean, usually with insects, anytime it's a little bit cooler, they're less active, but I don't know that that's true oh, so for periodical cicadas because they're just so numerous. If we have an unusually cool day, would that, would that lessen their activity slightly or is it once they're out, they're out? It might slightly lessen it, but I mean, unless it's dipping below like 50, I wouldn't expect it to really uh, <laughs> do anything to them. Hmm. Rain. So are we in for it the whole summer or is this going to be oh, yeah, Memorial yeah. Day? It's it's old news or? No, good question. So um, once they emerge, they only live for like four to six weeks. So, um, you know, if they start popping out in mid-May, we could look for them to be fizzling out by mid-June. Um, but we're also going to have some stragglers that don't come up until the beginning of June. So I'd say before Labor Day, that'll definitely be over. Um but pretty much for the first half of summer, we're gonna be we're gonna be hearing them <laughs> constantly. Wow! And then the um, like the shells that you find on the on the trees is that? Oh yeah. Uh, what are those? What's that all about? Is that at the beginning? Is it at the end? Is that? Yeah, uh, great question. So I kind of left that out of the life cycle part. So when they've been underground for seventeen years, like they are currently, and they're ready to come out. For their big emergence, they will climb up a structure, typically a tree trunk, right? Um, And they've got these really like sharp um, claws on their front legs that help them climb and stick to tree branches. And when they first pop out of the ground, they don't look like the cicadas that we're going to see flying around, right? They look, they're a nymph still is what they're called. Their life cycle is a nymph. And so they're, they don't have wings, but they're going to climb out of the ground. They're going to climb up that tree and hold on. And then they're going to molt or shed their skin into their adult form. So all the little shells that we're going to find everywhere, all over the trees, our fences, the sides of our house, those are just completely empty shells um, that they've left behind. It's like when a snake sheds its skin and it leaves behind its old skin. That's what we're looking at. Nice. Right, yeah. I have a whole jar of them here from, I think, oh, the 1987 yeah. emergence. It was in the, the office here at the Insectarium. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Man, yeah, so are you assigned with the task of, uh, you know, researching this new brood and figuring out, you know, the, I don't know. I mean, I figured this has got to be like your Super Bowl, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and in a way it is. Um, we don't do much, like, actual research into entomology here at the zoo. I know um, Mount St. Joe, we've got um, one of the professors out there, Gene Kritsky, is considered the the leading expert in cicadas. So I'm sure he's going to be extremely busy this summer. Um, but we are focusing more on like the education side of things and trying to answer frequently asked questions and dispel rumors about if they're harmful or not, et cetera. Um, so that's what we're focusing on here at the Insectarium, me and the other three keepers. So we'll be doing, oh, a lot of um, videos and Facebook live things as they start to emerge with our education department. The Cincinnati Zoo has a... Uh, cicada webpage up already. So if you just Google since I zoo cicada, we've already got some stuff up there, frequently asked questions and links to all of the blogs and stuff that we're going to put up throughout the summer. So it's going to be fun. Heck yeah. So what's, uh, what's a cool uh, insect that people might not know about that they can come and see at the zoo? 
show at the zoo. Well, we were talking earlier, right, about the leafcutter ants. I think yeah. that's probably everybody's favorite when they come through the building, the big long tunnel at the end with the, the leafcutter ants foraging for plants. Um, we also are kicking off zoo babies at the beginning of May, and the insectarium gets involved in that too. So we've got um, this year we're doing red-eyed assassin bug babies. We've got tons of those that we'll put out. They're super oh. cute. <laughs> um, also, April, my coworker, has bred uh, giant deadleaf mantids, so we'll have some of their babies out. And um, bringing back the marbled crayfish babies, too, which I know you guys a few years ago did an awesome t-shirt <laughs> for them. <laughs> I was sure. I was so excited to see that. I had to get one. I still have it. Um, it's faded. I didn't know so. anybody bought one. <laughs> well, I sure did. <laughs> so crayfish isn't an insect, is it? It's not. No, no. We do have some other arthropods in the building. So we've got some crayfish and crabs and um, certainly some spiders and other arachnids in the building. So we're not completely exclusive. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And I mean, naming thousands of uh, zoo babies in your... Uh, your department has to be hard, right? Yeah, we certainly don't name them all. Are there any <laughs> premature leaf cutter ants that have raised millions for the zoo? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, it seems like most of the rest of the zoo has babies around May, but we have babies year-round constantly. So it's, it's easy pickings for our PR department to reach out. Like, hey, do you have any zoo babies? Well, yes, we do. Which, which species? Because <laughs> every one of them is breeding constantly. <laughs> wow. So this is kind of a dumb question. We determine insects have six legs and three body parts. That's that's a definition of an insect. Mm-hmm, that's and arach- right. Arachnid eight legs, and mm-hmm. does it have any special body specifications like a head and a? a okay. Yeah. So yes. So are there any other <laughs> kinds of creatures we would call generically bugs, or is it basically just insects and arachnids that we generally consider to be bugs? Uh, I mean, bugs is, you know, a generic term. Um, I certainly embrace it. I say bug all the time, but, uh, you know, entomologists might cringe a little bit at that word, but yeah. Um, (laughs) so there's, there's, you know, there's arthropods would probably be the more, um, scientific term. And that would describe anything with like a hard exoskeleton. So that's going to be crustaceans, um, which are their own group and have a certain number of legs and certain um, body parts. And then, you know, we've got your insects that are, like we said, six legs, three body parts. Uh, You said arachnids have eight legs and two body parts. They've got a head and something called a cephalothorax. And then you could also go into like centipedes and millipedes are kind of in a group too. So those are in a group called um, Myriapoda. Uh, meaning mini leg. And then there's two groups in there that are um, chylopoda and diplopoda. And it, it all depends usually on the number of legs that something has. But generically, ah, okay. I see bug. But bug yeah, also, yeah. what? That I would include worms in that category too, generically. Ah. So yeah, it's okay. We're, we're used to it. <laughs> and getting back to the cicadas for a second, I said you, you said lawnmowers attract them. Is there anything that that you can do to repel them? We we didn't cover that, or are you, we, there's just so many we're doomed. <clears throat> I I think there's just so many. There's no avoiding it. I mean, <clears throat> like I said, the good news is they don't bite. Right? They can't harm you whatsoever. If you're not a fan of bugs, obviously this isn't going to be a fun summer for you. But uh, yeah, there's nothing really that you can do to deter them. Like I said, no pesticide. Putting bug spray on you isn't going to do anything. Mm. Um, <laughs> not like it would for mosquitoes. What about that headdress you can buy from oh, like yeah, Amazon yeah. that has like the big... <laughs> like a big beekeeper net. suit. I mean, oh gosh. <laughs> um, no, I guess it would technically keep them from touching your skin if they landed on you. But do you really want to walk around in a, a full net all the time? I don't know. I'm fond of insects, so I'm excited. I, I just don't think it's going to be avoidable. <laughs> Speaking of beekeeper suits and stuff, I saw a documentary on the other day about uh, the bees. And uh, how are the bees doing? It seems like they finally figured out what was killing them, although they can't figure out how to stop it. Isn't it like some little mite that gets in them that's been killing off the... And have, have they gotten that sorted or are they still trying to figure out how to combat that? I don't know if they'll... they'll ever have it completely sorted but yeah there's there's um varroa mites have been an issue for them colony collapse disorder is you know like a whole cocktail of things there's infections that beehives can get so i haven't heard any you know devastating news about 
bees in general lately, um, honeybees, that is. I think a lot of people, um, and I'm fond of honeybees. You could study honeybees for your entire life. They're absolutely necessary for agriculture. We need them to pollinate our crops. Um, but a lot of times focusing on honeybees, which, by the way, are not even native to the United States, uh, it, it overshadows paying attention to native pollinators too. So I always like to plug that when honeybees comes up. Um, honeybees are important. I like to eat. I love fruit and vegetables, so we need them. I'm not knocking them, but um, I, I, I encourage people to look into how to conserve native pollinators as well. So, and um, I, I put, they fly across the ocean or did we bring them across intentionally? Like how, how are we, honeybees not native? Yeah, we brought them here intentionally. They're actually a European species. So we brought them here for pollination and for uh, honey production. So that was us. We, we did that. Hmm. Um, and it worked out. It's not invasive. It actually made sense that we do that, right? Or, or is there, did it disrupt anything in the local pollinator chain? I mean, probably it did. I mean, how many times have we ever introduced something and it didn't, you know, have a negative yeah. impact on something else? And this was hundreds of years ago. So we probably weren't paying very close attention to it at the time. Um, but, you know, uh, like you said, it's not been like a huge issue. Uh, people do find, they call them like feral beehives. They might end up in one of your trees in your backyard where it is a honeybee hive and it is wild. Um, but that would technically be an alien species. Uh, it's not originally from the United States. Uh, so, so yeah, it could have displaced other species. I guess we don't really know very much yet at the time. So I put the documentary on while I was eating lunch and then I had to get back to work. And I just left it on. So I kind of wasn't really paying close attention. They started talking about the Africanized or the so-called killer bees. And uh, we never got – they were supposed to come sweep across North America, and they never did. And they explained why, but I wasn't really paying attention. Why didn't we ever see Africanized <laughs> bees in this? Was I think they said something. Maybe they made it into the Europe, some of the feral European bee populations, and that calmed them down or something? Or what, what happened? Yeah, I, I'm no honeybee expert, but that was my understanding too, is that okay. they, they hybridized with the European ones, and so they are not as aggressive. But then they'll they'll call them Africanized honeybees. So if you do come across, I guess, a feral beehive that is particularly aggressive, perhaps they have hybridized uh, with um, the African species. I don't know. <laughs> well, you, you know, I messed with the, the one, them pure Africanized bees, man. They they're not playing around, man. They go into, they go into a hive and they just start beating up on the drone bees, and they they then they suffocate the queen, and then oh, are, are we talking about the the Murder hornet? Japanese hornet? Is, is that, that what that is? Okay, again, I wasn't paying attention. I, I could have gotten mixed up. <laughs> That's the one that goes in and smothers the queen and brings in their own queen, and then eventually they all follow her. And is uh, that... No. Uh-oh. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what okay, we're talking I'll, about now. I'll have to look that but up. I know and... that, that recently, like even last summer, um, murder hornets were, you know, in the headlines. And everybody I think was this documentary was before that. all that hysteria, because these are it was okay. on Pluto TV, and they show all stuff from like the 90s and the aughts and the teens. So, yeah, okay, some yeah. species of bee goes into another hive, and they find the queen, they smother her and kill her, and then a, a queen comes from outside and comes, and gradually the surviving bees that didn't get killed in the raid eventually follow her, and they take over the whole hive and take all the honey and everything like that. Goodness, that yeah. doesn't sound like fun. No, not a, not a fun day to be not a fun day to be a bee in that hive. No, certainly not. Yeah. Well, I'm you know to switch. Sorry, back to the the murder hornet thing. The cicada killer that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, we get calls and emails occasionally in the summertime that people are concerned that they've found these murder hornets <laughs> in you know northern Kentucky so, and Cincinnati, and it's really just cicada killers. So, what were the murder hornets uh, supposed to be? I don't even know. I heard the the word, and then I saw that trending on Twitter sometimes, but that's all. Like I never dove in to figure out what they were supposed to be. <laughs> Those are um, uh, Asian species of hornet that are here now. Um, they're not widespread across the United States. I believe they've had issues with them in the Pacific Northwest, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and those are capable of killing an entire beehive, like in a matter of hours. Okay. So that's obviously a big concern for agriculture. Um, and when oh, honeybees yeah. are already facing a whole bunch of issues, um, this is just one more thing that they, that they have to think about and that beekeepers need to worry about. Um, so they were concerned about them taking hold in, the United States. And I don't know the current population status of them, but 
if you ever watch, you know, a documentary about these hornets taking over a beehive, it is brutal. They will smother the hive, they'll decapitate every individual bee, and they will just raid the hive for all of its resources, honey and grounds and everything. So it's it's not wow. fun. And they likely arrive being the big news story we thought it was going to be. Like yeah. or like stop covering it. I don't know. Right. Hopefully that means it's not as, as big of a deal, but I'm gonna have to look into that again and, and see where they're at with that. But yeah. who's naming these insects? Like who comes up with murder hornets? Murder hornets, cicada killer. Killer bee. <laughs> insects always get a bad rap, right? It's never like True. the fluffy bee or the polka yeah. <laughs> dotted cicada. <laughs> Butterflies are easier, I guess. They they get some positive PR. <laughs> yeah, are uh, butterflies in danger with uh, cicadas? Do they compete with anything with uh, like? Yeah, are there any? Uh, I don't know an- animals that'll have a bad day because the cicadas are in town taking their nutrients from whatever. Other than than humans being irritated by them, I don't think so. No, okay. I don't. They're not after any other resources as far as like flower or uh, sorry flowers for nectar or pollen or anything like that so they're not directly competing with other bugs will it have the opposite um, effect though will it like since the everyone's cause you said the cicadas are they're clumsy flyers and they're they're not very good at getting around so well if predators are munching on them is that going to give a break to mosquitoes and grubs and all kinds of other things it certainly could, yeah. It's definitely going to be a great year for predators to reproduce um, oh. because they're going to have just literally unlimited resources. Oh. Uh, and yeah, I guess you know, a side effect of that would definitely be that other bugs are going to get a little bit more of a break. Hmm. Um, you know, maybe. I, I, some insects, you know, are preyed upon because they're smaller, and these cicadas are much larger. So you know, there's going to be exceptions, but. Huh. Yeah, it'll be a good year for predators for sure. We're gonna have a baby boom of birds <laughs> and raccoons and all kinds of things. So, wow. uh, do bats <laughs> eat cicadas? Um, gosh, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if opportunistically they do, but um, yeah, sure. I mean, cicadas are kind of big for them, but bats take down other big bugs too. So maybe bats are are mosquito eaters for the most part there yeah, that's what i was gonna say it's like well, if yeah. they're not eating my mosquitoes then <laughs> yeah. the mosquitoes will be crazy <laughs> yeah that's what i was Nobody thinking needs to study that assign that to somebody to yeah we'll ask you that one <laughs> yeah that is interesting though with with predators like um you know cicadas are very successful because they reproduce in such great numbers but another trick that they have evolved into is that they come out every 17 or 13 years, which are really high prime numbers. So they've actually beat predators using math, right? Um, So when you think of predator populations and reproductive cycles, they might reproduce every year or every two years or every three or five years. And so if cicadas emerged every 10 years, then they would be hit by predators that have a five-year life cycle and a two-year life cycle. But because they come out at such a high prime number, 17, um, they avoid having to compare, sorry, having to avoid so many predators at the same time. I don't know if I'm making sense without a graph or chart, but (laughs) (laughs) essentially since they, they don't come out, you know, like every, every, every 12 years, they would have to deal with things that come, um, sorry, they would have to deal with predators that breed every three years and every four years and every six years. Wow. So they've, they've won that. Is now you think they figured that out over time and then the ones that, you know, do it every 17 years are the ones that are, you know, still around today? Like, Yeah, I think that evolved slowly over long, long periods of time that the, the ones that came out on high prime numbers survived and they got to reproduce and their offspring made it and wash, rinse, repeat. Is there an evolutionary reason why it's a 17-year cycle versus the garden variety cicada that's around all the time? Well, it's just like, you know, predator avoidance like that. Um, I think that's a really strong factor, um, Ah. you know, in their evolution that they actually did evolve that way to avoid predators. Yeah. Uh Aha. Definitely. Interesting. So they're like Egyptian, uh, you know, or cave paintings or anything depicting cicadas or how... How far back do we think they go? I mean, cicadas longer go than back, know, I guess. Yeah, I mean, insects have, you know, evolved 300 million years ago. So 
They've been around for a long time. Um, as far as cave paintings, I don't know. I know Aristotle is fond of eating cicadas, so there's reports of that apparently. Really? Um, <laughs> <a> dummy. <laughs> he was a he was a bugger with a bottle, according to Monty Python. <laughs> Uh, and you know, there are cicadas in, in other countries as well. I've got, again, I know this is video or sorry, audio and not video, but this is a hold up here. This is a Malaysian species of Holy cow. and it is wow. you know roughly the size of my hand. I was going to say so folks, that's as big as her palm. Yeah. yeah. And do they have broods there as well? Or are we, are we the only ones that have actual broods uh, where they, uh, yeah, I think we're the only ones with like long-term periodical cicadas. Okay. So this is pretty unique. Mm. To, to us, yeah. Okay, so the, the Bible talks about locusts. Are these locusts? Because I've been growing up, I called them locusts. I'm glad you asked, yeah. Um, no, these are not locusts. Cicada and locusts are very different insects. Um, and most people think they're one and the same. So you're not alone. Um, cicadas are part of a group of insects called hemipterans. So like kind of a scientific term that describes their order. So they're going to be related to things like plant hoppers and aphids cicadas are whereas locusts are essentially grasshoppers uh-huh. so they're very different insects um locusts are very closely related to grasshoppers crickets and katydids and uh-huh. when they when they when they talk about the biblical plagues or um when you see locust swarms um you know in the middle east destroying cro- uh, crops or whatever that is not something that happens extremely regularly it's not like on a 17 year cycle it's like a bumper crop um every once in a while kind of plague if you want so it's not something that is evolutionarily set to like 17 years huh good to know i didn't know they're more like grasshoppers Mm -hmm. yeah yeah pretty wild so how how did you get interested in bugs uh well i I'm Cincinnati native, so born and raised and lived, you know, up in Westchester and um, all the way out to Middletown, a lot of time on the west side. But I went to um, a high school where we had a zoology class and I had to create an insect collection for that class all the way back in high school. And I just got hooked and couldn't get enough. And I studied um, zoology at Miami and then heard about an internship here at the Insectarium and applied for that back in 2010 and they just can't get rid of me. Nice. (laughs) So, but I was always the kid. Yeah. I've always been fond of, of the underappreciated critters in my backyard. So I was the little girl flipping rocks, looking for snakes and snails and thinking they were really cool. And I still do. So, yeah. Did you keep any as pets? Do you have a little ant farm? I definitely. Yeah. I think praying mantises were probably my favorite as a kid. We'd catch a big praying mantis in the yard in the summer and keep it in a little critter keeper and feed it crickets throughout the summer. Uh-huh. That was always my favorite. Hmm. Well, so you could actually keep it alive. Sure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. I'm maybe not recommending that, but yeah. <laughs> make yeah. sure I you feed I've it. I guess. Yeah, yeah. plenty of bugs before, but I don't think any of them have uh, stayed alive. Like, or lightning bugs. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah. I used the, to. The old bioluminescence. That's pretty wild, huh? Was very cool, very cool stuff. I remember catching those as a kid too. Yeah, um, leave that smell on your hands, right? That's like yeah, merit yeah, and your hands glow, and <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure there's all sorts of arts and crafts from uh, lightning bugs. But I mean, maybe may there be some some uh, cool TikToks of the kids doing crazy things with the cicadas this time around. Because I mean, really, this is. One of the first brood that uh, has been around since the internet, right? Or at least the internet. Right. We know it. Social media. Right. Yeah. Kids call it. Yeah. I actually, I had a, I think this is fun. Um, Kind of a short list of things that Brood X has missed since 2004. And I was surprised because, well, Facebook came out in 2004, right? So that was like the beginning of social media. But every other social media platform has started since Brood X emerged the last time. So uh, when you Google it, like there's no pictures, there's no videos, there's no anything really from Brood X emergences. And so this will be the first time that like 
everybody will have a camera in their pocket and be able to capture it, which is yeah. really cool. they missed they missed breaking they missed Breaking Bad they missed uh, Game of Thrones they they, they got a lot of <laughs> they on, did man. they did yeah, so they're gonna come out they got to binge watch yeah. Breaking Bad so that'll, yes. that'll keep them busy for a couple of days <laughs> uh, six or seven killers <laughs> albums they got to get caught up on it's yeah there's so yeah man maybe yeah. they won't even mate they're just gonna be catching up on yeah social media content <laughs> I was all the, all the laughing because the the show that we were all watching in 2004 was Desperate Housewives and oh, yeah. um, Napoleon Dynamite was wow. was the big movie at the time. So and they've missed the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, I could have done, done without that. <laughs> wow, that's good stuff. So does Thane give you guys any love? Do you ever see Thane walking around the insectarium or does he just hang out with Fiona and all the donors all day? No, he actually loves this building. He comes through pretty regularly and pops in and the the big beetles are some of his favorites. And yeah, he's, he's fond of our building, which is really cool. He uh, talks about I, I still insects. get starstruck when I see him. It's like, Oh my gosh, it's Thane <laughs> Maynard. It's like, celebrity yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he talks about the insects uh, every now and again on this uh, that 90 second naturalist he does over on uh, vxu so yeah he's he's keen yeah he is it's awesome it's really awesome i thought he was all hippos these days he <laughs> <laughs> no, loves all animals that's awesome man so you guys got new manatees mm-hmm. uh slim swim shady i think we got a shirt in the works for swim uh what else is going on over there do we got do we have a new rhino or um, was that last year? I that was last year. Yeah. There's one more, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I think the big news now is um, we're breaking ground on our new elephant um, habitat. Oh, so oh, it won't be done anytime soon, but that's, that's the big news around here is we're turning our back parking lot, like where the school buses typically park. We're going to turn that into just an absolutely massive elephant but habitat. So is that behind where the, uh, where the merry-go-round is and stuff? Where you used That's to be correct. able to park in yeah. the old days? Okay, shoot. I'm yep. gonna, used wow. to be able to sneak in and park there for free at uh, Festival yeah. of Lights. Rue <laughs> <laughs> Another- Valley is ready to roll? Rue Valley is open um, and ready to roll. And I think um, as COVID restrictions are lifted, we're looking into opening up that ropes course that we built last year um, that we haven't been able to use yet, but um, hopefully very soon oh. we'll be able to. Yeah, it was just no way to keep it safe and sanitized for everyone to enjoy. So, but now that yeah. hopefully things are, um, you know, going to be heading in a better direction, we'll be able to open it. And that's a really exciting part. Anything yeah, on the horizon for you yeah. folks with the insects, like a, a new building or expanded building or maybe a big jar that get you? <laughs> uh, well, let's see. Big news in our building. Um, we are, I don't know if you visited recently, but we haven't had butterflies for a little while um, because of COVID again. We had to roll back certain things and close certain exhibits. So we are getting butterflies back in the next couple of weeks, which will be really exciting. Um, I miss them personally, but uh, we've got that going on in our building. We also are, um, I don't know, this is cool to me. I don't know if it's cool to everybody, but the, the, the railings that have all of our pinned specimens in them that are crumbling because they're 40 years old, we have replaced a lot of those and they're looking really nice um, once again. So that's that's been fun in our building. Nice. Do insect species ever go extinct? Because there's so many of them. They absolutely do. Oh, yes. wow. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know. Like, you don't think about no, it. No. Like, I... Insects are everywhere, and they're so numerous. But yes, there are several species of insects that are already extinct, and there's a lot that are endangered. Um, typically, it's due to things like habitat loss and, and big picture things. It's not like a specific issue that we just need to, to fix, you know. Um, but one of the species that we work with here at the zoo is the American burying beetle. Um, so we breed those here at the zoo. They're federally endangered. Um, and then we release them, um, at a nearby nature preserve to try and reintroduce them to Ohio. So they they don't live in Ohio anymore, but historically they did. And so we're trying to bring them back to Ohio. Oh, nice. So like the, you know, you guys are breeding cheetahs and rhinos and all that stuff. You're still doing that with bugs as well, huh? We sure are. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Are there any like endangered bugs that maybe you're saving? I mean, not like the beetle you just talked about, but. Yeah. I mean, that beetle is endangered, but um, beyond that, our zoo doesn't work with any other endangered invertebrates, um, but some other zoos do. They'll work with something called a partula snail, 
um, which is native to Tahiti, and they're they're breeding those and trying to reintroduce them. Um, so yeah, it happens even on really really tiny scales with with invertebrates. So it's not just megafauna that need our help. That's wild. Yeah, you don't you don't think about endangered species being being bugs. No, oh, you sure know how even count them to know that they're endangered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Usually, it takes a long time to realize, or it takes somebody who's really dedicated in a particular field to realize, wait, this species of butterfly or bumblebee has basically disappeared. What's going on? Yeah, that's crazy. And then well, we, we also deal with like the pet trade because um, we have certain tarantulas and, and scorpions here at the zoo oh, yeah. um, that you can see. And, and those are really popular in the pet trade and people illegally collect them out of the wild, even though they might be threatened or endangered and then sell them into the pet trade. And it's a big problem. So Ah, is there like a Joe Exotic of uh, the uh, insect world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we work with um, <laughs> Fish and Wildlife Service. They'll they'll confiscate things that are being smuggled in illegally and give us a call and see if we can help sometimes. So, yeah. Man. You don't think about it with invertebrates, but it really does happen. That's true. Um, the Price Hill Monkeys, you mentioned the West Side a couple times, and uh, <laughs> I heard all the zoos, zoos monkeys were accounted for. Uh, what's your theory on the price hill monkeys? Were they real? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know what that was all about, but <laughs> we got an, an inner office email that was like, no, it's not us. And I was like, well, of course it wasn't, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> it's know. good to know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there are, you know, people that, that keep pets as, you know, or keep monkeys as pets. And it's obviously not something I would ever support, but I guess yeah. it's possible. I don't know. So if I had a monkey collection, as they called it, is that something I would notify the zoo about? Just be like, hey, I just want you guys to know that I have 10 chimps in my basement and that's I mean, what I'm, I'm doing. I don't know the specific laws, like <laughs> front to back, but I, I think in Ohio there's pretty hard and fast laws about um, exotic animals anymore. I know after the Zanesville incident, a lot of mm-hmm. stuff was um, put in place to prevent stuff like that from happening anymore. So yeah. Um, I again, I don't know the law, but I, I think there it's a little more stringent than it used to be, and I think that's a really good thing too. Heck yeah, that's crazy. Well, man, I think we uh, have we covered it all. You got anything else, PS? I think I've got all my questions answered here. Let me see if I check my little list. Yes, I do. <laughs> man, I mean, an hour flew by like nothing. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's crazy. So at the end of every episode. We allow our guests to give us a word or phrase uh, that'll be used as a promo code at Cincy Shirts. So, (laughs) um, yeah, so if you walk in our store and say this word, or they could use it online and save 20% on their whole order. Including cicada Uh, shirts. Including (laughs) our cicada shirts, including the WABN shirt, the uh, here for a a good time, not a long long time time, shirt. Actually, all the cicada shirts are selling really well, so we were we were surprised by that. Sometimes we just put shirts up not knowing what's going to go on, and uh, people are approving. So, yes, yeah, so check out Cincy Shirts Cicada Tees, and if you use this promo code, you can save 20%. And that promo code is... Cicada Mania. There you cicada go. Sort Mania. Write that down so I don't forget. <laughs> so that's two words, right, PF? It'll be all one word. All one word. Yeah. Cicada mania, all one word. Yep. Sounds good. All right. Well, Mandy, thanks so much for uh, taking time out of your schedule and uh, teaching us all about cicadas and all that stuff. And uh, yeah. Yeah. You're <laughs> incredibly welcome. Thank you guys for having me. This was this was a lot of fun. Hopefully I answered some, some frequently asked questions about yeah. cicadas. Uh, no, the zoo <laughs> podcasts are always great. They're, uh, they're fun. <laughs> Awesome. But cool. All right. Well, yeah. Thanks so much. And uh, we'll catch you on the flippity flop. All right. Thanks, Mandy. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye. She's the wildest hunt in the wild kingdom. She's the hottest thing to flow down. Mandy Pritchard, 
Okay, so the question I asked was, we kind of went around this question a little bit, was about when cicadas are active and when they're not, you know, dawn, dusk, and I thought, well, can I sit out on my deck at night, even if there's a fire going, will the fire invite them like it does other insects, uh, you know, moths and such? And she said they should probably be mostly inactive at night, the light might distract them, but uh, we're pretty safe being nocturnal. Uh, well, not that we're in danger during the daytime, they're just annoying, but they should be a little calmed down at nighttime, so uh, take note of that. All right, and our thanks to Manny Pritchard for being on the show. That was fun. Now, be sure to tell friends and loved ones about the show, including folks who may no longer live in the area, but still feel connected to the tri-state. If you haven't already, as always, check out the Cincy Shirts podcast archives wherever you get your pods from. Today's show is produced by me, with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. Find their music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. Find video teas from great places like Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, uh, Seattle, Philadelphia, Portland, more at OldSchoolShirts.com. We've got over 32 cities now with lots of defunct sports teams, old stores, old malls, restaurants, that sort of affair, just like Cincy Shirts, but for those towns. And again, the promo code for this episode is Cicada Mania. That's all one word, Cicada Mania, all uppercase, all lowercase. That part does not matter. Alternate upper and lowercase if you want to be fancy about it. You're going to use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com order. We have the Cicada shirts, like I said, at Old School. So if you know somebody in Baltimore or Indianapolis, uh, Nashville itself isn't going to get them, but areas around Nashville are going to get them. And parts of northern Georgia are going to get them, but Atlanta won't. But if you know people in, in you know other parts of the country uh, that will be experiencing Brood XY, direct them to Old School Shirts to get themselves a Cicada shirt. And you can share the promo code with them if you like. All right. So follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest Cincy Shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good review wherever you get the podcast from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye.